Welcome to Living Well with Rent Well, the podcast for anybody who's thinking about getting into real estate, in real estate, and wants to take their game to the next level. I'm your co-host, TJ Hawk. And I am your co-host, Rob Coldwell. Welcome to another episode of Living Well with Rent Well. I'm your co-host, TJ Hawk. And with me today, we have Jody Fletcher. How are you, Jody? I'm doing great, TJ. Thanks. Jody, I'm super stoked to have you uh, on with us today. Your background is just, uh, I mean, unbelievable. I could sit here and read off the list of the things you've done, Um, you know, but it's... Jody served in the combat with small, highly elite reconnaissance and special forces teams. He spent the last decade of his career advising two-star and three-star generals. And you go on and on between different certifications on leadership and coaching and facility instructors. And uh, Jody, what I love about you is it's very clear that your passion or your desire is to build better, healthier leaders and culture in companies. So I'd love just to start off here, if you could give us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then we'll jump into it. Sure, DJ. I appreciate that. I spent almost three decades in the in the Navy, although I spent the entire time with the Marine Corps. So a little over 29 years. And the first couple of decades were in the special operations community, working in really small teams and all that kind of good, fun stuff. Uh, what kept me in the last decade as I moved into those leadership positions was I was so passionate about team building and leadership development and mentorship. And I really thought at the end of my kind of soft career, that would be it. And I would just get out. I did not anticipate loving those leadership positions as much as I did. So that kept me in another decade or so. And then it was just a natural transition when I got out to kind of find the same line of work uh, on the outside. I'm fascinated with corporate America, regardless of the, of the industry. You know, it's, it's, well, it's, it's unique to me. I grew up in a military family. I was in the military for my entire life. And so as I get out and I'm able to have these awesome conversations with people that do something completely different than what I'm used to, it's it, that side of it fascinates me. And the other piece is, as leaders, we lead people. And it's agnostic to any industry or community or any of that. People are people are people. It doesn't matter what they're doing. And so I'm constantly learning from clients or when I'm working with groups of people, I I learn as much from them as hopefully they do from me. And, uh, you know, I don't ever claim to be a leadership expert. I have a lot of leadership experience because in the military, there's a very high turnover rate. People are, you know, either transferring in, transferring out. So in 30 years, it's, I think it's safe to say I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of different leaders or teams or styles. And and I'm able to bring that out into other conversations. But then, you know, when I'm working with other organizations, I'm still learning, still constant. It's this journey, you know, it's this journey to be a better leader and take it all in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I, you're talking and it makes me think about, and I forget which book it was that I read this in, but I, the definition of the leader really stood out to me in this book. It, it said, the definition of a leader is when you've basically built up a team to lead other people. And that idea of really pouring into them, caring about them. Um, I used to think culture was this touchy, feely, fluffy, kumbaya, let's all hold hands and you know pat each other on the back. And man, was I wrong. 
you know, and I <laughs> really in the last two years have I learned like kind of really what is culture and the importance of it and making sure that everybody, yes, can work well together, but also really running in the same direction. And are they really in values alignment? And are you willing to make the decision to onboard or offboard a team member based on a misalignment of values? You know, they may be really great at their job and missing that critical part. And the easiest example there, TJ, is, is when you are looking at a sports team. You might have a player that is an amazing player, but they actually detract from the value of the team because they're a one-person show instead of playing their position as the best you know, player on the team. They want all the accolades. They want all the attention. And they end up losing games for teams because of that. And of that. yeah, that's your, to your point, sometimes the best player in the world is not a great fit for that team. Hmm. I think in the military, they have this saying, don't F your buddy. And uh, when I think of the military in that term, which actually that term is under one of our core competencies, I just think you're there for your teammate. You're there for your battle buddy. You're there for the next person. And that idea of really not even making it about yourself, but making it about them. And in good to great, what really stood out with me is they said of the, I think it was 2000, some companies they studied and the 11 of those 2000 that made it to great companies, they studied the way that the CEO would communicate. And it was always we, 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 not I, I, I. And that it just really stuck out with me that um, I think that's important. That I is the ninth letter leader principle. You know, it's a, so I is the ninth letter in the alphabet. Okay. And it's I, me, and mine. And those pronouns, you know, project individualism, ownership, and selfishness. Hmm. And people don't want to work for ninth letter leaders. I would argue there's a positive side to the ninth letter leader. And it's a leader that says, I know what my core values are. I know what I stand for. I know what motivates my people. I know what motivates me to come in and lead. And I'm doing the very best I can to show up as the best version of myself every single day and be a good human. That's oh. the good side of the ninth letter leader. Yeah. It's, Thanks it's, for sharing it's, that. I know, yeah. I think that's a good juxtaposition about that I statement. Yeah. It's, it's the self-aware ninth letter leader as opposed to the you know, self-absorbed ninth letter leader. Ninth letter leader. I learned something new today. <laughs> I, so, I saw it on the internet. There you go. <laughs> And it must be true. Yeah, that's right. So Jody, the one question I have is, um, with all your background and your studying and your researching, is there, I guess, what would be the biggest contributor to bad culture? Um, yeah, that's just the, the question there. Like, is there, have you noticed a pattern to that? I think culture is directly related or the direct responsibility of the leader. And anytime I've seen bad culture, there's generally a bad leader. I'm not saying they're a bad human because I believe you have to be a good human to be a great leader. And I've seen good humans that are not great leaders and that's okay. They just need the right training, mentorship, coaching, whatever. But you can be a great leader if you're a good human. If you're not a good human, my opinion, you're never going to be a great leader. So I think it's the responsibility of a leader. And I have seen organizations, teams, whatever, where the culture was bad and the leader was a good human, but they were not a good leader. So they were either tolerating bad members of the team, maybe the self-absorbed star player of the team, you know, taking all the accolades or trying to showboat or just 
not clear vision, clear guidance, clear mission, all the other things that make up great culture, but the leader is the one who drives that because the difference between culture and climate, of course, climate changes on a dime and culture changes slowly over time because that's leader driven. Whereas the climate can change because somebody walks in the room and is bringing lightning and thunder as their weather system and they can rain on everybody's parade. Wow. Would you have any advice? So a lot of our listeners own their own business or maybe have just started out and they're in the, in the process of building out their leadership team. Would, would you have any advice for new leaders, somebody who's maybe uh, more of a positional leader, like they've been put into that seat. So now they're a leader um, almost by definition of title. What, what advice would you give them? The first piece of advice I would give them, TJ, is to figure out what motivates them to lead. And if they're not motivated to be a leader, then they probably should find a different position. Hmm. If they are motivated to be a leader, then they need to start the journey of self-awareness because you cannot lead others until you know how to first lead yourself. It's me, we, us. So I have to lead me first, then I can lead we, which is generally the smaller team, and then I can lead us, which is the teams of teams or the larger organization writ large. Mm -hmm. It all boils down to self-awareness. The the more self-aware you are, the better human you are, the better leadership potential you have. Yep. Makes total sense. What's their motive? Start with why, probably. That's right. Concept. Well, and we see it all the time, TJ, where people will... They assume, and I, I, you know, I've said this a thousand times if I've said it once, if I could remove the word assume from the dictionary, I would, and I would replace it with ask. And you see this in organizations all the time where I assume I'm, let's say I'm leading you. I assume you want to become a leader as well. Mm. And that's not always the case. There are a lot of people, especially I see it in tech a lot and some other very niche industries, if you will, people are very happy being individual contributors. They're extremely awesome at what they do and that's all they want to do. But they're thrust into these leadership positions and you know that comes into the old, you're promoted to your level of incompetence, right? <laughs> at that point, they, they become incompetent leaders because they either they don't have the desire or they've never been trained. Not a lot of people actually attend any type of leadership training. It's becoming more popular now, which is great in my opinion. And it's the one thing I think the military really gets right because from day one, you're taught leadership principles. And, you know, I always joke that if you see two military people walking down the street, somebody's in charge, you know, somebody's leading. That's your mindset from a very young age. You don't, I don't see that a lot in corporate. It's starting to be a little more uh, prevalent, but certainly not at the level that I thought it would. And I was kind of blown away when I got out and started doing this work. I'm like working with 60 year old C-suite people and talking about leadership concepts that we learn in the military at 19, 20 years old. It's crazy. Could you talk a little bit about that? I'd be curious to hear more. Like what are, um, what did, what did your military service, which by the way, thank you for your service. Oh, you're worth it. What, wow. Great response. Um, what did the military teach you about leadership? It taught me it's not all about you. In fact, it's not about you at all. The only thing that's about you is a self-awareness piece. You have to realize that's part of the leadership equation. What am I bringing to this? What part of this can I control? And the only thing I can really control is myself. Everything else through leadership is all based on influence through um, inspiration, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm trying to influence you through inspiration. And that's done in a myriad of ways. 
And it's all dependent upon the person that I'm working with. And when I talk about dynamic leadership, I talk about uh, the old, you know, a stick shift in a car. Everybody thinks leadership is like our modern transmissions where you push D and you take off and it does the rest for you. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Being a dynamic leader means meeting your people where they are. And that changes daily per person. I mean, you might be in one mood at breakfast and another mood at lunch. As a dynamic leader, I've got to be constantly shifting gears to meet my people where they are. And I think the military really, for me at least, and I had a, I couldn't have had a better experience. I mean, I loved every last drop of it. And it was because I worked with amazing people. I learned so many valuable lessons. I saw good leaders. I saw horrible leaders. I saw amazing leaders. And I learned from all of them and then was able to mold that into my own style but the number one thing is really getting it into your heart and soul that it's not about you, it's about them. Hmm. I'd love to unpack some more of that dynamic leadership um, because I just think that's so important that you don't just show, I can't talk to Susie and Billy the same way. Not, not to your point, it's even the difference between breakfast and lunch, one individual could be different. Now you have a team of, well, we have 39 people on our team everybody's unique and we've done the Enneagram and DISC and there's a Keller Williams profile called the KPA and the Colby and, you know, all these things to, to do our best, I guess, to help understand everybody's different personalities. Do you have any advice or, you know, maybe tips or tricks or like, just how do you keep on top of that? I call it driveway to driveway leadership. And that means that it's as important to know as much about the person in the driveway they leave from is the parking lot they pull into at the office. And a lot of organizations, the leadership, they only care about the person when they hit the parking lot at the office. Ah. You have to know what's going on. And don't, I'm not talking about being intrusive and you have to respect people's boundaries. But if, you're, if you've built relationships with your people and you're always talking to them during the good times and the bad times, then when you do have corrective action for them or, you know, uh, constructive criticism or whatever you want to call it, they're going to be more open to hearing it because they know you genuinely care about them and that whatever it is you're telling them, you're doing it for the best reason. Mm. And one of the most common mistakes I see in corporate now, and I've seen it in the military as well, people have a really hard time having a candid or difficult or uncomfortable conversation with somebody on their team. Either they're uncomfortable with it, they're worried about hurting somebody's feelings, they're worried about how they're going to be perceived, but the reality is, if you've built that solid relationship with your people, when you go to have those candid conversations, they're going to be open and appreciative of the fact that you're really trying to make them better by, you know, whatever constructive action you've got for them. Of course, what you hope is that 90% of the conversations you have with them are about great things, you know, whether it's personal stuff, they're, you know, what they did on the weekend or their kids or whatever, or what amazing work they're doing. And I find that a lot of leaders only talk to their people when something's wrong. And so then the people feel like, A, they don't know me. And B, you only come down here to, to give me a hard time because I messed something up. 99% of people, and this is my own math, this isn't even off the internet, right? But 99% of people don't fail maliciously. They fail with the best intent. So as leaders, it's on us to understand that and to grab somebody and say, okay, that didn't work. No problem. And now we're talking about building psychological safety in the work environment, right? That really means that I've got your back. That's all it means. I've got your back. And go ahead, 
be creative, take the initiative, try something. And if it doesn't work, it's no big deal. Chances are nobody died, right? And if that's the case, you pick them up, you dust them off, you pull the lessons from it and make sure everybody else in the organization knows those lessons too, so they don't make the same mistakes and you move forward. And I love in the tech industry, and I forget which company it was, but when I was working with them, their mantra was fail fast. And I'm like, how better to describe psychological safety than fail fast? Hmm. What they're really saying is get out there and try whatever's in your head, whatever creative idea you have, try it. And if it's not going to work, like find out quick so we can you know, shift fire and, and move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah, Jody, you actually mentioned something you said about sharing the lessons learned, right? So they get out there, fail fast, try something. Okay, now this may be just between the manager and the direct report. You've had this conversation, but there's there's clearly something to be learned here. And, uh, you know, I've heard of the after action review and what that looks like. So what what would that look like? How do you share something like that with the team? Anytime there's a failure, TJ, ask yourself, what did I learn? Who did I teach? How did I show I cared? And why should people trust me more after the mistake than before? Ooh. That goes for leaders and that goes for team members. It doesn't matter who failed or who made the mistake. Those same questions should be applied to every single mistake. So what did I learn? And then who did I turn around and teach? That's how there's, you know, like, constant forward progress is by learning from our mistakes. Because if you're stuck in this situation where you're just not learning anything and you're on that plateau, you're going to go the way of Blockbuster, right? They're not adapting with the times. And it's interesting because a lot of our younger listeners on here probably don't even know what that is, right? And then there was Netflix. They're a great example. Remember, they used to be mailing DVDs. Yep. And then they shift to a digital format. So they're adapting with the times. But all of that happened because on Blockbuster side, they were not wanting to learn from mistakes and not willing to move forward. And on Netflix side, they were willing to iterate and try new things. Yeah, just keep, keep being adaptable, especially in today's world. Things change so quickly. You know, that you have to be, and then there's all these theories around, well, do you even have a business plan? And if you do, is it just one year instead of 10 years? And that's a whole nother conversation. Um, are there any indicators for what a great culture in an organization or in a team looks like? DJ, I think it's more of how it feels. And this does come directly from my, my military experience, especially the last decade when I was you know, kind of working at that C-suite level, we would walk into an organization and you can feel it. Mm. You can feel if there's good culture. You can feel, and it's a lot of it is because you know that people are being talked to, right? You know their leaders are sitting down and talking to them once a week or once every two weeks or whatever the rhythm is. And just finding out what's going on with them, finding out what their goals are, what's the plan to get to their goals, letting them know that they really care. Because when people know that somebody cares about them, especially this generation coming into the workforce now, they want to know somebody actually cares about them. And if you show somebody you care, I think a lot of them will forego higher salaries to wake up and think, I get to go to work, not I have to go to work. My generation is, I have to go to work. And it didn't matter. Right. Right. When get you, the job done, yeah. That's right. When you create an environment where people are waking up thinking, I get to go to work, you're not going to have a retention problem. You're not going to have a recruitment problem because 
the people in your organization are going to be so happy and so fulfilled and so empowered and so trusted and cared for and all of that. They're going to be talking to all their friends saying, oh my gosh, you've got to come work where I work because it is awesome. So you've got to build that kind of environment. So when I say it's a feel, that's what I mean. You feel it. And people are not, and this was interesting in the military, of course, everybody knows your rank, right? So you walk in and, you know, I worked with two and three star generals, and then it was myself as a senior enlisted guy. And then I had my Marine counterpart, senior enlisted guy. So the three of us would walk in and in organizations that had poor culture, people would scatter and try to hide. No way. And in organizations that had great culture, they wanted to let us know how awesome their organization was. They were proud of their team. So it's a feeling, but you only get that from pe- feeling from people that are bought in. And leaders are directly responsible for that. You, I've often seen leaders that are promoted on the backs of good people because they're doing the work and getting it done, even though the leader's not great. Those leaders will often get promoted compared to the leader who comes in and builds an environment for good people to do amazing things. Good people are going to come in and do good work no matter what. It's just the way they're wired. Good people are going to come in and do a great or amazing work if the leader builds the environment for them to be amazing. And that comes through trust and empowerment and all of those, you know, like caring about people and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was a a new leader, right, or um, somebody listening to this, uh, maybe about to have that promotion, to your point, it's and, and probably more a leader that I now have somebody reporting to me because I, I do believe anybody can be a leader no matter what level in the organization you're at. Is there any kind of um, like the number one thing or the, the most important principle that that person should really understand or grasp? Because obviously there's so much information out there. It's like if I could start with one thing, what would that be? Be a good human. Hmm. That's the number one thing. Be a good human being, care about others, try to, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like empower others and really genuinely know where you are. So the foundation of being a good human is self-awareness. So I would say that's the number one thing. The next most important thing for any new leader, Lincoln said it best, leadership by walking around, get out of your office and go and talk to the people that you're leading. If you're not talking to them every day, you need to reassess what's going on. Hmm. And it doesn't matter. There's no excuse for we're remote or whatever. I would say communicate, not talk, right? Because I get it. There are organizations where you might not actually see that person, but if you're staying connected with them, you're communicating with them. I just interviewed somebody on our podcast the other day. He's I think this young man was a multimillionaire before he was 30 years old and he works like this pest control uh, job. Right. And now he's got 450 something people that he leads. But when he was at 200 people, he was communicating with every single one of them every week. And what he was doing is he was breaking up. He would text 50 people a day just to check in with them on a personal level. And he said, of course, of those 50, half of them would respond, hey, I'm doing great. Thanks. That was it. But then the other half would actually start a conversation. So there's no excuse for not staying in touch or communicating with your people. What that looks like to you and to them is up to you and to them. Right? You have to co-create that. 
Right. But you have to stay connected with your people. It's no different than, um, because if you don't, you're going to start to assume. And again, never assume, always ask. And one of the things that I like to do with people when I'm working in groups is recommend, or especially leaders, if you're having a meeting, every meeting should start with a check-in. You should go around the table and say, all right, let's check in. And at first it takes a little while because people don't really get it. But in the end, it takes maybe 15 to 20 seconds per person. And they're just going around the room and saying, hey, you know, I, I slept great last night. I'm feeling good. Everything's good, whatever. Because imagine this, DJ, imagine you and I are in a meeting and it's my day to present. And you're always very chipper, very supportive, have a lot of feedback for anybody who's presenting. But maybe your pet passed away last night. So today I get up and it's it's my day to present and I'm presenting and I keep looking over at you and you are like not making eye contact. You're not providing the feedback that I'm normally used to. I'm naturally going to assume you don't like my presentation. I'm going to take that personally and then start to spiral down. Hmm. Whereas if we had checked in in 15 seconds, you might've said, Hey, I'm off today because we lost our pet last night. Okay. Now we all know. And you're starting to build those relationships around the table because inevitably people are going to say, oh, I'm so happy my my son won the soccer game yesterday or, you know, whatever. All these little tidbits that people share, you're building, you know, and I know some people don't like to say family at work, but I believe in that. And so I say you're building a sense of family. We spend more time at work than we do at home. Most of us. It's true. Yeah. Right. So why are we why are we so afraid then to get connected on a deeper human level with the people that we're working with? Yeah. Jody, I just had this complete aha moment with the check-in. Um you had the ability to make the connection between just I'll be honest, part of the check-in is almost like you check the box. I did that. So we're implementing EOS currently, right? And the first part is the segue, the check-in. Okay, we do that. Everybody's fine, but you know, you move on. But to your point of really digging in to the best you can, and as much as they want to open up, okay, yeah, you clearly something happened last night or yesterday, whatever it might be. We'll give you a little rope today, a little slack today, you know. And the, I, that presentation, um, the visualization of the presentation, and looking at the person, and maybe they don't react. Something just clicked there, as to truly the importance of that check-in before you start this, a meeting, a group conversation. And TJ, the the more you do that, the more you as a lead are going to know your people on a deeper level. And nine times out of 10, you will catch the person before they even get into the boardroom and say, Hey, how are you doing today? You you know, you, you seem like your energy is a little lower than normal or, or however you would say it. That also means a lot to most people because they realize that you're connected with them enough to know when they're off before they even have to say it. Mm. Wow. Well, Jody, I have an off the wall question for you. Okay. Um, Cause we're approaching 30 minutes here, but I saw that you referred to yourself as a, the happily average surfer on, <laughs> on your LinkedIn page. What does that mean? You know, I'm a very avid surfer and I'm average, you know, I'm, I surf as much as humanly possible it's my happy place and I'm, I'm okay, but I'm not great. And so I think when I'm talking with people and they know how much I surf or that literally my garage is full of surfboards, 
they would, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, you're probably really awesome. So I just put it out there. I'm, I'm happily average, you know, I'm, I'm getting close to 50 and uh, there's certain things that I'll probably never be able to do, but I'm a very happily average surfer. So uh, yeah, uh-huh. that's what I mean by it. That's something to be proud of. That's right. All right, Jody, this is, I, I could spend hours talking to you about this topic of leadership and culture and organizational development. I mean, it's very clear that you are passionate about this. And um, I really appreciate you. All of our listeners appreciate you making time uh, today to to talk to us. Um, before we end, though, I do have a couple of just sort of rapid fire questions that I like to ask. And the first one would be, what book had the most impact on your life? That's a, that's a huge question. Uh, I read a lot and I will give you the one that's impacted me the most recently. And the one that I find myself recommending the most recently, and it's a book by Craig McEwen, I think is his name and it's called Essentialism. Yes. And the bottom line up front for this book is that we as a society have pluralized the word priority. And Mm -hmm. so when we've changed priority to priorities, then nothing's a priority. And the book is amazing. And I use it a lot with executives and recommend it a lot. Um, it's a, it does an amazing job of helping people not feel guilty or at least explore the opportunity to not feel guilty when saying no to things and uh-huh. cutting things out of your life that are actually weighing you down. And this this goes from somebody popping into your office to just ask a quick question or, you know, you become the easy button, uh, say no to engagements that you don't really want to go to, that kind of stuff. So that is a fantastic book. So I have a question, if I can, do you have any advice? Because I used to really struggle with saying no. And I'm better now. And Red Essentialism, amazing book. If anybody here hasn't read it, please do. Uh, you know, and he talks about the power of saying no and references like Steve Jobs, basically. Cut most of what we do and let's focus on like the core three things that generate revenue. Somebody who's new to this concept of saying no, clearly that's going to be a cultural shift because the person's used to you saying yes. Any thoughts on how to start with saying no that the other person doesn't get offended? Like, well, what's going on? Why, you know, you always say yes or you always agree to this. I would say you've got to start with yourself. And how do you feel when you say yes? Oftentimes when we say yes and we enter into whatever it is and we end up doing the thing that we didn't want to do, we're resenting whoever it is that has caused us to do that thing. Right. So you're not showing up as the best version of yourself. So realize that inherently you're going to be a better version of yourself when you say no to something you really don't want to do or can't do or whatever. And if somebody's giving you a hard time about it, there's a couple of different things I would offer. A, how valuable is that person if they're really going to give you a hard time about saying no in the first place? A true friend or a true, you know, somebody you have a great relationship with should never pressure you to do something that you don't want to do. And if you say no, especially if it's polite and all that kind of stuff, then they should respect that. And if they don't, then you need to start asking how much value is that person bringing to my life? And is this a a reciprocal relationship or is this a one way? Am I just the one who's always doing things? The other thing I would say is if you do have to have that conversation with somebody when they said, well, what do you mean? No, you always say yes. I would explain to them how it makes you feel when you say yes, and then you go and resent them and why you're saying no and starting to establish boundaries to build time for yourself. 
that's a part of self-care and self-work. And if you don't do those, you're never going to show up the way you want to show up both at home in other relationships and at work. Yeah. And to your point earlier in the conversation about just being honest and showing up authentic by sharing your, how you feel when you say yes, at least you're being very transparent about it. And if they don't respect that to your point, maybe they're not the right person in the relationship or, um, Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that little rabbit trail there. Yeah, of Our course. Question two would be, what are you doing to still grow your skills? Reading, watching, believe it or not, watching movie and TVs and yeah, TVs and movie shows, all that kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm like, I love storytelling, whether it's books, TV, or because there's a subplot for every character. And when I'm watching those things, I enjoy the story arc, but I'm also asking myself, what's motivating that character? And I use pop culture a lot when I do workshops because it's easy to pick apart characters that we all know on screen. You know, um, I use Will Ferrell characters a lot. I use The Office a lot. I use Game of Thrones. I use uh, Yellowstone now because we are all familiar with these characters and it's easy to pick apart those things. So when I'm watching or reading, I, you know, I'm constantly trying to learn. And then honestly, TJ, I just, whether I'm doing podcasts or in workshops, I'm always learning from others. And again, I'm on a leadership journey and it's one that there is no end to. I'm just constantly taking in information and it's, it's all great information. Some things are useful to me, some things are not, but it's, it's, it helps me develop every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And the final question would be going back to your younger years, right? If you had any piece of advice to give yourself that, you know, to basically be truth today, what would that piece of advice be? So I say don't get trapped in the pits, right? Because there's three things that don't exist. Perfection, immortality, and time travel. Hmm. So whenever somebody says, what would you go back and do? And I, it's funny because a lot of my workshops, I open with this funny classified ad about, you know, somebody who uh, is looking for somebody to go back in time with them. And it says, like, you've got to bring your own weapons, safety not guaranteed, you'll get paid when we get back. And I use that to open because I asked the question of the group, does anybody wish they could go back and correct the mistake they made, especially a leadership mistake? And of course, everybody raises their hand. And throughout the workshop, you know, we talk about there's there's no going back. It's impossible to do it. It doesn't exist. So don't get trapped in the, in the past. What I tell everybody is look back on things that you may have messed up. And again, ask yourself, what did I learn? Who did I teach? How did I show I cared? And why should people trust me now more than they did before I made the mistake? So it's to answer your question in a very roundabout way, it's I would recommend to everybody, and I would say the same thing to myself. When I was a 19-year-old leader, I was vastly different than I was as a 48-year-old leader. You know, it's, yeah. you're going to mature, you're going to evolve along the way, be along for the ride, be there in that moment, immersed in it and learning from it. And when you mess up, we all mess up. It's okay. Learn from it and teach others and continue to grow every single day. That's what I tell everybody. And that's what I would tell my 19-year-old self as well. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I love that. Jody, we are at the end here. Um, how does anybody get a hold of you if they want to learn more or connect with you or follow you on social media? Absolutely. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm usually very active on LinkedIn. So I'm just Jody, J-O-D-Y, Fletcher. 
on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find me on Facebook because I'm old and Instagram. I'm learning my, my teenage daughter is helping me figure that one out. And then I'm also, I have a website. It's, um, E5 professionalcoaching.com. And it's just like it sounds, the five is the number not spelled out. Uh, and, and you can connect with me on any of those. My email is Jody, J-O-D-Y at E5professionalcoaching.com. Shoot me an email. Uh, you know, I'm, I've got a few spots for individual clients open right now. And I'm always open to doing workshops. And, you know, I'm certified in, um, in TILT and EQI, Emotional Intelligence, Forte. And I also do the Resilience Building Leadership Development Program. And I just say that because a lot of those are incorporated into other workshops that I do as well. The uh, Resilience Building Leadership Development Program is actually SHRM approved. And that's one of those things that people after they complete the training can get, you know, different levels of certification for, you know, for uh, to benefit them at work as well. Sure. Okay. Well, very good, Jody. This has been an amazing 36 minutes. Uh, I really appreciate you, you know, carving out time in your busy schedule to share some wisdom. Yeah, I appreciate it, TJ. Um, I appreciate the invite and, and it's been a great conversation. I always, I can talk about leadership and stuff all day long. All day long. Well, Jody, we really appreciate it and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks, TJ. Thank you for listening to Living Well with Rentwell. We hope you loved that episode. Please be sure to head over to our website at rentwell.com backslash vision. We're giving away our free program called Vision Through Purposeful Action. If you're a busy person, if you struggle with finding the time and priorities, or if you're experiencing procrastination and overwhelm, this free course will help you with that. We wish you a blessed day. Thank you for tuning in and check in later.